Praise the Lord. Well, we're talking about what God says about. And actually, this week is going to be a little bit, not, I don't know if it's different, but it's a little twist. The cost of standing for Christ. I mean, I understand there's a cost for that. There's a cost for standing for that. And I found out this week, and maybe some of you have, this sermon was kind of prompted by the, the events in the news lately. How many have heard about, I, I, I prayed about this situation, I didn't want it to be a knee-jerk reaction, but I, what, what I wanted to do was focus on not so much what's happening, but to understand that it's gonna happen to us as well. How many read about Chick-fil-A this week? Now, up till now, Chick-fil-A has been the, the stalwart business that has stood for Christian principles and values. They're closed on Sunday because that's their Sabbath day. They want to let their employees go to church. That's, that's their thing. That Everyone who knew Chick-fil-A knew that they were a Christian organization from the outset. I found out a couple of statistics about them first, and then we'll go into why we're talking about them. They were consistently voted number one in customer satisfaction for the last four years, and they have prospered hugely financially. According to The Takeout, which is a fast food magazine, the average Chick-fil-A store makes twice as much profit as the average McDonald's. They are the third largest chain behind Starbucks and McDonald's. And I believe that this is an example of the business that has, because they have obeyed and honored God, in their business, God has blessed them royally. How else can an organization who's closed on Sundays and stood for this and still face opposition, how could they be number three and more profitable? Yeah, chicken's good. I'm not a chicken guy, but I'm the lone guy. Now, they've also been a non-confrontational Christian organization. What do I mean by that? They don't have banners in their front windows saying we're a Christian organization. They don't have picket signs out front saying we believe this and we believe that. They're just, the owner came out one day and said, you know, hey, we're a Christian organization, period. That's all it was. Well, from that one statement, you see the backlash that they've gotten over the years. And they have gotten a lot. They have been the brunt of boycotts and pickets, bad press, jokes, and they have been denied permission to open facilities in various places due to their, and it's actually because of the owner's one statement that he believes in traditional marriage. That was his statement, and from that, all this hoopla came about. Because he stated that, they have been mercilessly attacked over the years. They have been denied permission to open up franchises in Chicago Airport. They've been denied permission to open up in JFK Airport. Europe is denying them access to, to European markets because of this one stance. And I would say that they are blessed by God in spite of these attacks, and they're blessed by God, I think, because of these attacks. God has allowed them to prosper despite all the efforts to shut them down, run them out of business. And it's been merciless past several years. So what happened this week? Well, if you haven't read the news, I'll give you an example. It's, it's a slippery slope of appeasement. In 2014, we didn't know this, but it came out in the news, they stopped donating to Paul Anderson Youth Home 
because of their anti-gay stance. They began at that point supporting the Boy Scouts, which if you've known, they have given in to the LGBT lobby. They have been an active supporter of great charities like Salvation Army, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, but because of the constant barrage of negative press and opposition and their inability to further their business, they have chosen to no longer support those two organizations strictly because of their position on the gay issue. So instead of supporting Salvation Army, I mean, who has an issue with Salvation Army? They're the largest group that provides meals and shelter and and supplies to the homeless and the hungry. They're number one. Well, they quit supporting them and they supported now a place called Covenant House, which is very, very small in comparison to Salvation Army. They're supposed to do the same thing that Salvation Army does, but a lot smaller. But if you do some research into Covenant House, you'll find out that they are a gay activist organization. They have a float in the New York City Gay Parade, and they transport young girls to abortion clinics. That's their thing. So Chick-fil-A has now went from supporting Salvation Army, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, to supporting these organizations. In other words, they caved in to the pressure. They gave in to the pressure that they felt from the outside. And I believe in doing that, they did two things. They basically, why do you think they're number one? Because God blessed them. And I believe that because they're a Christian organization, Christians have supported them vastly over the years. Well, they threw those those of us under the bus. They gave up their staunch supporters in order to please an organization that hates and despises everything they stand for. Now you're gonna read a bunch of tortured explanations of why they did this, but they gave, but the end, in the end, they gave in to the pressure and they didn't stand and they didn't take into account the cost of being a believer. I'm not using them to point them out, I'm just saying that for an organization as strong and stalwart as they have been, they succumb to the pressure. And that simply means, the Bible says, those of you who stand, take heed, lest you fall too. That means the opposition's also gonna come to us. If you stand for anything biblical, believe it. The opposition is gonna come your way, and you have to determine right now what you're going to do when that happens. Because for Chick-fil-A, I'm not saying it wasn't, it was hard. It was rough facing that opposition, but in spite of that, God blessed them. Things get really hot and pressure is mounting on you personally or on us as a church, what are we going to do? Jesus told us this thing's gonna happen. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What does the cross indicate? Cross indicates sacrifice. Cross indicates difficulty, hardships, and death. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. John 16, one, all this I have told you so you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. Luke 14, 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and he turned to them saying, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own family, or his only life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, without going into a big sermon about the word hate here, I think we know what Jesus is talking about. The love you have for God in comparison should, your love for your family should look like hate. We already know Jesus says we're to love them, we're to encourage them. But if someone, if the choice comes between your family and God, Guess who Bible says you gotta choose? Tim, uh, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, in fact, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And it's at this point you have to make a choice. Are you going to stand and fight for what's right or are you going to give in? Two things that we're gonna deal with in any opposition or persecution the two questions we have to ask ourselves. The first one is, do we fight and confront those who are opposed to us? And the second one is, do we acquiesce and do we give in? Now, I mentioned this to my wife the other day and, and I'm sure your instant reaction is, well, we don't, you know, we don't fight. You know, Christians don't fight. Yeah, I don't think that's exactly biblical. I'm going to go through a couple of verses and say what God says about that. Matthew 10, 16 says, Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, but be wary as snakes and harmless as doves. I heard a preacher say once that Christians get an A plus in the sheep category, but we flunk the snake thing because we're not wise, we're not... You know, it's funny. We need to be as wise as serpents. Why did he say serpent? Why didn't he say owl? Owls are wise, right? Why can't we be as wise as a family pet? Why can't we be wise as an owl? Why can't, he used the thing that everybody hates and fears, snakes. How many like snakes? What do you do when you see a snake? Run away, right? But actually, what, when you see a snake, you're not supposed to run away, right? You run right into another snake. Of all the animals, snakes are, you know, you've got a healthy respect for snakes. You've got a fear of them, you hate them. Yet look, yet they live how they were designed, regardless of how we feel about them. Snakes are who they are. And the Bible says we need to be as wise as serpents. So, do we fight and confront those? Or do we roll over and let the systems dictate our lives? Questions that are gonna come our way eventually, do, not, do we not preach against sin because it might make somebody feel bad? Or the word is offend, right? I'm offended. Do we not single out certain sins because it may be harming our relationship with the government? Beta O'Rourke, how many know that name? Now he's a failed presidential candidate, but good thing, I know, right? 
But the thing is, when he was a presidential candidate, he said that his political platform was any church that does not accept homosexual marriages should lose their tax-exempt status. That's a presidential candidate stating that. Now, he lost this time, but it's gonna come up again. That issue is going to come up again. What are we going to do? Does that make us change who we are? Does that make us change what we say, our stance? Do we, are we afraid of losing the government's favor in order to water down what God's word says? Canada already has that law. How many know that? A BBC headline from June of 2018 says this, quote, Canada's Supreme Court rules that LGBT rights trump religious freedom. It's coming. Now, I'm not singling this out. This is the issue of the day. How many understand that? That's, that's the issue that's in the news today. I think more than anything else, this is the one issue. It may be others. I was listening to a seminar, not a seminar, but a, a round table talking about this and other issues that are facing the church. And the, one of the points made was that heterosexual immorality is just as bad as homosexual immorality. How many understand that? Someone sleeping with a girlfriend, guess what? Just as bad as the other way around. Our problem as Christians is we seem to be repelled at, at the one set, but we're not so repelled at the other. We need to be upset about both. But the difference is you don't have someone trying to force it on your throat. You don't have someone, they're not picketing out there for a guy sleeping with his girlfriend. You don't have someone out there having a straight pride day. It, it's an issue that's out today and we have to be able to ready to face it. So, does that mean we roll over at noons? I think we have to go on the offense a little bit. Now we're gonna look at Paul and look at a couple of times where he did just that. When Paul was in prison, he was in Rome, he was prison, and they, they could not let him go. They said, okay, you can go home. And what happens? He didn't just, you know, kind of lick his wounds and say, okay, you know, Jesus loves you, I'm on my way. What did he do? Acts 16.35 says, the next morning the city officials sent police to tell the jailer, let these men go. So the jailer told Paul, you and Silas are free to leave, go in peace. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without trial and jailed us, and we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. What's he doing? Paul and Silas were wronged by the government. He's exercising his right, and he is demanding that the people that did that come down and publicly acknowledge their wrong. He challenged them. In today's vernacular, he basically, he sued them to come down, make it a public statement, let everyone else see it, and realize that you guys were wrong. They could have left. They could have kept on preaching. You know, we'll take the beating for Jesus and, and we'll go on our way. Praise the Lord, we want us to suffer for God. But they wanted to vindicate themselves, so they demanded that those who were in charge accept full responsibility, and they wanted everyone in the city to see it. Verse 38 says, when the police made the report, they were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They came to the jail and apologized to them. 
they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. Paul, as a Roman citizen, had rights as a citizen. He was fully exercising those rights in order to vindicate himself, promote the gospel, and allow people to see the power of God. To the point of calling those who were in charge on the carpet, exposing them to the town to witness their wrongs. The Bible says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. We are called to expose things that are wrong. I think you know where we're going with this. We have certain rights for now that we should exercise. They've been afforded to us by the Constitution, and if we believe our history, that God had a hand in forming that Constitution. How many believe that fact, that God had a hand in that? If you look at all the, the symbolism in the Constitution, they took a lot of that from the Old Testament and New Testament. So we believe that God had a hand in forming the Constitution. That means that God gave us these rights. What's it say? Inalienable rights that we have. So we are to exercise those. We are not to just roll over. We are to be on the offense for those, to maintain them. Paul exercises those rights again in Acts 22. It says, the commander brought Paul inside and ordered him lashed with whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. As they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? The officer went to the commander and asked, what are you doing? This man's a Roman citizen. Yes, I certainly am, Paul replied. I am too, the commander muttered, and it cost me plenty. But I'm a citizen by birth. The, Romans, the soldiers who were about to interrogate Paul quickly withdrew when they heard he was a Roman citizen, and the commander was frightened because he had ordered him bound and whipped. People who are in the wrong should be frightened of us exercising our rights. Officials should be wary of denying us the rights that we have right now, and we should be on the offense to that. If we sit back and just take it, we're gonna continue to receive it. Paul goes at it again in Acts 13. It says, afterwards they preached from town to town across the entire island until they finally reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, a man of considerable insight and understanding. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him for he wanted to hear the word of God. So here we have a man who's interested in the gospel. They have a, a chance to preach the gospel to him. And verse eight says, but Elimas the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Saul and Barnabas said. He was trying to turn the governor away from the Christian faith. We see that happening today. Get the government out of the Christian faith, or get the Christian faith out of the government. Then Saul, also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked at the sorcerer in his eye and said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of trickery and villainy, evil or enemy of all that is good, you will never stop perverting the true ways of God. Paul didn't ignore him, didn't walk away, didn't turn the other cheek, the Bible says he turned around and confined him to his face. Now, the Bible says he was full of the Holy Spirit. 
So we've got to be full of the Holy Spirit when we come to that position. And that means continue to pray. Continue to trust God for what he's going to do and let the Spirit prompt you. But not only did he confront him, he basically cursed the guy. Verse 11 says, And now the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you'll be stricken a while with blindness. Instantly mist and darkness fell upon him, and he began wandering around begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. Now, how many of you, when you witness to someone and you're getting interfered with, do you confront that person and curse them? Anybody ever do that? Anybody in your witnessing technique? I've not ever done that. You think that's the opposite of what God wants us to do. It'll never work that way. What happened when Paul did that? Verse 12 says, when the governor saw what had happened, he believed. And he was astonished at what he had learned about the Lord. Paul was not acting as a sheep. Paul was acting as a serpent. He was using his wisdom in order to promote the kingdom of God. And I think sometimes as Christians, we mistake being nice with being righteous. There's a difference. How many know who Bill Hybels is? It's a big church in Chicago. He says this, this quote. He says, passive Christians repel non-Christians from the faith. R.C. Sproul, how many know who that guy is? Big theologian, reformed theology. He says this, when I became a Christian, I understood that Jesus took my sins away. What I never heard from him is that he took my backbone away. If we are always milk milk toast people who can't stand up for righteousness, others are not gonna be drawn to your stand for Christ. It doesn't mean we are offensive, it means we stand for the truth, we are righteous. What are some of the words that Jesus used against the Pharisees? Hypocrites, whitewashed tombs, Matthew 23 says snakes, son of vipers. John 8, 44, you are children of your father, the devil. Matthew 23, 17, you blind fools. What did Edmund Burke tell us? The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. So we need to be on the offense at times. Do we acquiesce to the demands of those who oppose us? Do we roll over like good little Christians and just take what's coming our way or do we stand for it? Now, when we stand for it, it doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. Chick-fil-A took a beating for that. And it's not gonna be easy to do it and you'll face a lot of opposition, but the question is, are you going to do it? Do we maybe give in just a little bit? You know, if we just give in a little bit, you know, we'll acquiesce on this one little point and then, you know, it'll be okay. They'll, they'll like me better. Isn't it easy just to give in a little bit, you know, just a little bit easier if we give in a little bit just to have peace? You know, I don't want to fight, so I'm just going to give in a little bit. Has that ever worked in history? When, when has giving in to the enemy ever resulted in him letting you go? Giving in empowers and emboldens the enemy. I got this quote, and I've used this before. It's a quote about World War II. Rather than challenge the acts of aggression by Nazi Germany, Neville Chamberlain sought ways to pacify Adolf Hitler. 
Chamberlain signed the Munich Pact in 1938, which gave parts of Czechoslovakia to Germany. He basically said, okay, take, go ahead, take, take this. We'll give you this little part, we won't fight you, just take that, but leave everybody else alone. Let it, you know, just end it right there. How'd that work out for him? In March of 1939, Hitler violated the Munich Pact by invading Czechoslovakia. Giving in, even a little bit, never is enough. It never works. John 10.10 says the thief's purpose is to steal a little bit, kill a little bit, and destroy a little bit. No, it just says he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. His purpose is not to give, let you give in a little bit and let you go. His purpose is to let you give in totally and then destroy you. Giving in only motivates more opposition. How many know that? When you give in, you signal weakness, and they attack. If you don't think that's true, going back to the Chick-fil-A thing, the same day, that, or the next day, one or the other, that Chick-fil-A made that public announcement, GLAD, how many know who GLAD is? It's a gay magazine. They come out with this statement, like right, right after Chick-fil-A said it. It says, one of the nation's largest gay advocacy organizations is greeting Chick-fil-A's divestment from Christian charities like Salvation Army with tepid praise and further demands, including an unequivocal denunciation of the brand's history and values. The full statement from Drew, uh, Drew Anderson, GLAD's director of campaign and rapid response, names more steps that the fast food chain must take to prove its genuine repentance. So it's not enough. Oh, that's good. You quit giving. Now you have to denounce everything you've ever stood for. That's what'll make us happy. So we have Chick-fil-A has to repent from their position. Which means eventually churches will have to, quote, repent from their position. He goes on to say, if Chick-fil-A is serious about their pledge to stop holding hands with divisive anti-LGBT activists, then further transparency is needed regarding their deep ties to devilish, or devilish is my term, organizations like Focus on the Family. What an evil organization that is. Which exists purely to harm LGBT people and families. Giving a little is never enough. Giving in a little bit never pacifies the enemy because he wants all of it. The devil will never be satisfied until every aspect of biblical Christianity is wiped out. That's his goal. And he will do what it takes to get us to that point, which means the opposition is eventually going to come. The enemy's goal is to wipe out Christianity and guess who the targets are? Us. It's easy to hit a public corporation and attack them, they're very public. The next step is gonna be every other organization that takes that same, same stance. What's that mean for us? Well, we're not a major company. We're a small little country church. I'm just a regular guy, just a regular girl guy. How does it affect me? I wrote here, you need to understand that you're in a battle. You are going to come into a position where you are tempted and pressured and beat down to deny your faith 
or compromise your faith or give in or now become, quote, okay with certain things because of the pressure and the persecution and the hardships that we face. A couple week or so ago, we talked about the disconnect between what Christians say they believe and how Christians act. We said, you know, what, 74% of Christians believe that premarital sex is wrong. However, 80% of Christians have done it. If we want to take a stand for God, we are eventually going to face the same trouble that Chick-fil-A did. I found out actually further news, I mean, not good news about them, dating years ago. But here's the, here's the issue. When you give in a little bit, just a little bit, that's, that's the, the hole in the dike. And it's not going to stop. And every Christian needs to be ready for that and be ready to take a stand for that. We have to ask ourselves, are we ready? If your job is on the line because you won't do something that they're telling you to do that you know God is opposed to, do you quit? Do you say you're not going to do it? Chick-fil-A, granted, they lost a lot of business that they could have had overseas and other places, but I believe God made that up for them that God allowed them to prosper where they were because they stood for Christ. And I believe that God honors what we face if we stand up for it. I wrote down here the word abortion. And I'm going to say something. You may not like it. We talked about rights. We talked about our election process. I'm going to tell you that as a Christian... We should never, ever, ever vote for anyone who is pro-abortion. Never. I don't care what they stand for. I don't care if they promise you the world. Christians should be at least one issue voter. I heard a quote from Ben Shapiro the other day. He's an Orthodox Jew. He's a good guy, conservative guy. He says this. He says that any nation who stands on the, the bodies of dead children should never be allowed to continue. And I believe that one of the reasons that we're going to face opposition is because of that alone. Why did Israel, why did God judge all the other nations around Israel? Child sacrifice. I did the detestable practices of Molech. God says, I'm going to wipe them all out. I mean, wipe them out. Every person, every animal, kill them all. God's judgment on sacrificing children to the altar of, of convenience. Chick-fil-A began to look at the bottom line and what it's going to cost me. They're looking at what it's going to cost me in the future as opposed to what God's blessing me with now. And I thought about that and same thing with when Peter got out of the boat, as long as his eyes were on Jesus, the storms around him didn't affect him. As soon as he got his eyes off of Jesus and off on the problem is when he started to sink. And I think when we face opposition, and we're going to face it, and we keep our eyes on Jesus, and we do biblically what God asks us to do, we're going to weather that storm. 
it may cost you in the, in the short term whatever, your job, friends, family. I, I saw a meme the other day that said, at Thanksgiving, talk about politics. It will narrow your Christmas list down. <laughs> when we stand for biblical issues, it may narrow down your, the group of friends you hang around with. People may not want to be around you because of your stand. Not because you are offensive in your position, but because you take the stand. Dan Cathy, the guy from Chick-fil-A, all he did was make a statement. He didn't do anything else. He didn't refuse service, he didn't refuse to hire, he didn't do anything other than make one statement. And it all hell broke loose on him. Just being in a position where you believe something about the Bible, it may bring all hell on you as well. The question is, are you gonna keep your eyes on Jesus when that comes? Or are you gonna f- succumb to the pressure? In one public act, Chick-fil-A negated all their years of public testimony. All the good they have done up to this point, what's happened? Gone, gone. There's numerous articles from people you know, supporters of Chick-fil-A who now, you know, not. Now, I'm not telling you to boycott them. I'm not saying do that. Because there's every other organization out there has an anti-biblical stance anyways. If you shop Amazon, you know, all these folks, they do, they do bad things. So you have to exist in the world. I'm not calling you, to, if you want to, that's great. To send a message, but I'm not saying to do that. What I, the reason I picked that is because for a company that stood so strong, to cave in. Think about what's coming our way. It's gonna happen. And they succumb to the pressure, and I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. The difference is you have to make a choice now. You can't make a choice when it happens. You have to make the choice now so that when it does happen, you're already ready for it. Their public face, Chick-fil-A's public face, has changed now. And as Christians, when we give in to something along those lines, and I'm not, not even that issue, but when we give in and we accept a little bit, that does the same thing. It torpedoes your testimony. If you now agree that something is okay, all your testimony up to that point, gone. Now before I close, I'm gonna make a, a quick distinction here. The Bible tells us we are to love people, right? No matter what they're in, you're to love the, love the person. What I'm talking about here is not people. I'm talking about the, the movement, the, the pressure that's out there exerted by, by the organization. We are to love people into the kingdom. We're to love them and show them Christ's love. And there's a difference between love and affirming. I can love someone, but not agree with what they do. If someone is a heroin addict, I can love them, but I'm not gonna tell them that that's okay. I can love them and help them and show them how to get out of that, but I'm not gonna say that what they're doing is okay. So we're to love people. We're to encourage people. 
And hopefully, and, and the vast majority, I would think, of whatever sin it might be, aren't those that are activists, but they're people who are struggling, who need the love of God in their life, who need the truth of God's word to help them to be what God wants them to be. We're to be in the world, but not of the world, right? We're to exist and live here, but not be a part of the system that operates this world. And the longer we exist before Christ comes back, the the eviler that system is gonna be. And the smaller the group of Christians are gonna be. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, it says in the last days, people are gonna wax cold, their love for people is gonna wax cold, hate's gonna grow, it's gonna be bad. And Jesus may come tomorrow, he may come in 100 years from now, but the pressure and the, and the persecution and the trouble is gonna come. Right now, our biggest thing that we face is being humiliated or laughed at or ridiculed. I don't think anybody's walking out of here today with the threat of losing your head for Christ. But if you watch, go online right now, you can watch Christians in other countries that are actually being executed in front of you for their faith. Now we've not gotten to that point yet. So we look at the persecution and trouble we might face. We might lose our tax exempt status. Oh no. We may lose our job. You're not losing your life yet. You're not losing your kids' lives in front of you yet. They're not wrapping you up in wax and setting you on fire yet. So while we have this freedom here, we need to be, the Bible says we are salt and light. Salt is a preservative. We are to preserve as much as we are able to righteousness. We are to be active in preserving that to the best of our ability. It doesn't mean we you know, grab our guns and go out I mean, if we stand up for righteousness and take the lumps when they come. But we can't back down. We can't give in a little bit. We can't just acquiesce just a little bit in order to please someone because it's never enough. And the enemy will just keep opening that door further and further and further until it's wide open and we stand for nothing. Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads with with me for a moment? The scripture we read earlier is the one we want to close with. Jesus says, remember, the world hates you. Remember, it hated me first. So we're not going to be able to make friends with people who are opposed to the Christian faith. It means we we don't walk away from them. We try to be friends with them. But if that's our goal, and we'll do anything to be friends with someone. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you stand for righteousness, people are gonna hate you. They're gonna think they're doing God a favor if they kill you. Right now we enjoy, as we said before, the many, many blessings that God's poured upon this country and upon our lives individually. We have food, we have a place to live, we have a church, we have friends, we have family, we have all those things. Blessings that 
90% of the country or 90% of the world don't have. So Father, we are thankful. But if you're here this morning, maybe you've been in church all your life or maybe this is your first or second time here. The question at the end of every service should be the same. We've, we've mentioned the need for Christ in your life and the, and the cost of serving Christ. But maybe you've not ever gotten to the point where you said, you know what, I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I believe that without Christ, I'm not gonna make it to heaven. That his death was actually payment for my sin. And Romans talks all about that. That Jesus paid the debt that each one of us owe. We will be guaranteed of heaven because of Jesus' death and our acceptance of that fact. If you're here and you've never really trusted Christ, you may have heard about him, you may have even been in church a long time, but you've never really trusted Jesus. You've never really said, you know what? It's true. And I believe that I need to be forgiven of my sin. The Bible says there are no accidents in God's economy. God is sovereign, everything works out the way God wants it to. That means you're here for God's purpose. And if you're thinking about God, it's because God is making you think about God. And so you have to ask yourself a question. If you were to die today, this minute, if you died, do you know where you would end up? Jesus says, I've written these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Jesus said in John, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you gotten to the point where you've asked Jesus into your life? And I'm gonna ask you that question right now. If you're here and you've never done that, and you're curious about it. The Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good. Try it. I guarantee you'll not be disappointed. So if you've never asked Christ in your life, I want you to raise your hand right now if you want to do that. Father, we are thankful for your forgiveness, we are thankful for your blessing and we are thankful most of all for Jesus. You gave your son for us. None of us would ever give our children to anyone for any reason. But Father, you gave them to us. Your word says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that means while we hated you and despised you, you still allowed yourself to be executed because you love me and you love each one of us. That simple fact, if you do nothing else for us on this planet, that is enough for us to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, help me to live my life to show you how much gratitude I have for that. And I know, Lord, that living my life for you might bring about hardship and trouble 
and persecution. And Lord, I'm okay with that because Lord, I, I'm thankful to you more than I'm worried about that. I pray your blessings upon each person here this morning, Jesus. Allow them to experience the, the presence of God, that their life is transformed by the power of God, that each one of us will be alert to the Spirit of God so that the Spirit of God can transform who we are from the inside out and allow us to be able to stand tall when trouble comes our way. Bless us as we leave today. Let us have a great Thanksgiving this week and remember to thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Don't forget Thanksgiving Eve service on Wednesday.